millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History Dweebs. I am Tim. And we'd like to welcome you to our podcast today. Thank you for joining us. I'm joined, as always, by the lovely blue hair beauty, Brandy. How are you today, Brandy? I'm good, Tim. How are you? Outstanding. Great. Now, um, the colonel couldn't be with us today because he is out on the tra- uh, campaign trail. Um, you know, he's out in Iowa. Uh, but um, we are joined by Chuck. And we are happy to have you today, Chuck, to talk about this very important topic. How are you today, Chuck? I am doing good, Timmy. I know these are big, big boots to fill with the colonels. I'm going to do the best that I can here. Yeah, he has big boots. Um, okay, so the topic uh, today is a little bit different, a little bit more serious topic. Um, we're going to go back to uh, a day that really changed everything and changed the world that we live in today. Um, Chuck, if I ask you, who is the most important person who's lived in the last hundred years? What do we, what typically, who, what kind of names do you think you hear? If you ask yeah. a person on the street. Yeah, ask a person. You're, you're probably going to hear, in the last hundred years, you're going to hear, well, that's, Lincoln goes back further than that, but... Um, Churchill. Churchill. Uh, Churchill, FDR. I'd say, to me, probably in our country, the most influential is FDR, possibly Reagan. Right. Um, So, uh, but that was being the names that most people... Most people would not recognize um, the name of Gavrielo Princip. But yet, I think you can make an argument that Gavrielo Princip has had more influence on the world we live in today than anyone who's lived in the last hundred years. I, I think of if you go back, uh, you know, I, I think of like these, um, what do you call these time lapse photos where you, you know, you kind of go through time. Um, and it, it, say you start today and you start with ISIS and then you go back in your mind, you see a photo of the, you know, ISIS and the, and the beheadings and then you see the 9 11 attacks. And the Afghan War, and then you go back a little further, you see the Iraq War, one and two, um, Vietnam, the Cold War, the Korean War, um, Joseph Stalin um, uh, ruling over Russia and, and killing, you know, 20 to 50 million Russians, um, the, uh, the whole, you know, World War II and Hitler and the Holocaust. The Communist Revolution, um, and even you can even say uh, 
World War One, and even the spread of the Spanish flu could all be traced. An argument can be made that this all could be traced back to one day in 1914, June 28, 1914, in a, in a town in a city uh, called uh, Sarajevo, which is in Bosnia, in, uh, in the Balkans in Europe. And at that time, um, the events of that day led to, uh, really led to the world that we live in. And what happened that day is going to be the topic of our discussion. Now, to understand this, um, to get some background, there's two principal, two principles involved in this, um, in this story. One is Gabriel Princip, uh, which is who was essentially a nobody until that day. And the other one is the, uh, was a um, member of the Austri- Austrian-Hungary royal family, uh, a, the heir to the Austrian-Hungarian throne. Austrian-Hungary, of course, a, a country in Central Europe that n- no longer exists, but did back in 1914. And um, the heir to the throne was a guy by the name of Franz Ferdinand, who was um, kind of played the role that um, Prince Charles plays today, although unlike Prince Charles, he would have, uh, if he had um, uh, seceded to the throne, he would have had real power uh, over the Austrian-Hungary nation. Um, And Austria-Hungary at the time was the overlords of Bosnia, and that is where um, Gaviero Princip lived. And um, a lot of the Bosnians did not want to be a part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. They wanted to be a part of a larger Serbian uh, or Slavic nation uh, that would include Bosnia and Serbia and Herzegovina. And um, Gavio Princip uh, was a young man at the time. He was only 20 years old at the time of our story. And they were trying to make a statement um, to the Austrian-Hungarian throne, um, a statement to say, hey, we want, you know, we want our independence. So, um, Chuck, tell us a little bit about, first of all, about Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Well, you know, and, and here's the thing to me. There's nothing, you know, is when you go back to the royal families and things like that throughout Europe throughout that, that time, really nothing that is that exceptional about the guy you mm-hmm. know i mean that's that's the the whole story to this is you have two really unexceptionable people mm-hmm. um who created this dramatic change in the world so a little bit about him he's um he was born in the archduke was born in 1863 and, and it's kind of almost like a comedy of errors. I mean, this yeah, this, this whole, whole story, thing, yeah, this whole story is just like almost a fluke. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like you know, hitting the lottery. He uh, he he would have never been he would have never been Archduke, um, an heir his, to the heir, yeah, to, an the heir to the throne. Um, but in he was born in 1863. Now in 1899, his cousin crowns Prince Rudolf commits suicide. And Rudolf was in line. He was in line. He was in direct line for the throne. Now, this left Franz Ferdinand's father, Karl, as first in line to the throne. Mm-hmm. But then his dad died um, seven years later of typhoid. 
So now Franz Ferdinand, who has no, you know, when he was born, uh, chances I mean, of him, chances him, him extending uh, yeah, to the throne was was very yeah. Now the only now he was one of the wealthiest men. Aside, if, had he not even been you know on the throne, he was one of the wealth, wealthiest men in Austria. Um, when he was eleven, his cousin Duke Francis died, and he named Franz Ferdinand his heir on the condition that he just add the name Esty to his own. I mean, so it made him deal. One, yeah, it made him one of the wealthiest men there. Um, he was a he was a pretty passionate guy. He uh, he, and and here's here's something else. Now you, you've got him not being in line for the throne at all. Right. Okay. Not being in line for the throne at all, and then the guy kills himself. Then his dad dies. Now he's out hunting. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's at now. This is we're going to up to nineteen thirteen. He's on the throne at this time. He loved. The, he was a big trophy hunter. Mm-hmm. Loved to hunt. And one of the loaders fell, and mm-hmm. the loaders were the guys who carried the guns right. and did everything else. And this guy had a double barrel shotgun. Mm-hmm. The loader falls. There's two guys. Um, the archduke and and. I'm it, I'm not sure. I forget who was with him. Mm-hmm. Um, walking ahead of the loader, the damn double barrel shotgun goes off. Both barrels and the shells go right between them, right between the two. Misses him. by rights. He should have been dead that day. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's dead, he's never on the throne. Yeah, the he story- doesn't get shot. Nothing happens. Right. He's not, he's not, he wouldn't be an heir. Yeah. Now he, you know, like, like all Austrians, you know, he spent his time in the military. Um, he didn't, but there, but there's nothing now, now here's kind of the strange thing. Uh, you know, the irony to this is he had a much different view. He believed that, um, the countries that they controlled should have more autonomy. Yeah. He was actually fairly liberal. He was going to give them more autonomy. The, the Serbs would have been better off with him in power. Yeah, and his and, his, his uncle at the time was on the throne, Franz, yeah. Franz Joseph, who was a Franz very Joseph, yeah. elderly man. He was in his late 70s, I think. Yeah, and, yeah so uh, they're just waiting for Franz Joseph to die. Yeah, basically. And he's going to take the throne... And he's going to give them autonomy, or at least he's going to be more sympathetic to the Serbs having autonomy than anyone who preceded him. Right. And and they would have been, you know, he, the way they describe it, he, he, um, he wanted to take a very, very careful approach towards Serbia. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if you if harsh treatment of Serbia is going to bring Austria Hungary, this was his belief. You, if you treat Serbia harshly, you're going to run into an open conflict with Russia. Now, an open conflict with Russia, he believed, was going to be the ruin, the downfall of both empires: the Austria-Hungary Empire and the Russian Empire. Yeah, and there was this whole complex um, series of treaties between all these powers. Today, we think of. Uh, the United States as being a, a superpower. Right. In those days, in the early 20th century, there were multiple superpowers. You had the Russian uh, uh, emergence as being a uh, country emerging as a superpower. You had Germany, a new superpower. 
Great Britain was, of course, an, an empire, a superpower, as was France. So you had a lot of different... You had a Turk, the Ottoman Empire and the middle yeah. of Turkish. So you had a lot of, of superpowers. Today, you know, we think of, really, when we grew up as kids, you had two superpowers, United States and Soviet Union. Basically, today, we're the only superpower. But in those days, there were, you know, there were, the world was made up of many different superpowers. And his fear was that if um, they got drawn into a conflict with Serbia, that uh, the uh, Russian um, treaty that uh, Serbia, uh, the treaty that Serbia had with Russia would kick in, and that would be the end of Austria-Hungary. And really, in the end, he was right. Yeah. The and now the only group that he didn't really like, he did not like the Hungarians. I mean, he he had a just an extreme dislike and distrust of. Um, Hungary. He thought Hungary, Hungarian nationalism was the biggest threat to the Habsburg dynasty. Um, that's the only, you know, typically he was liberal. He was fairly patient, fairly tolerant and, until it came to Hungary. Um, but, you know, again, that's just a little, little fact. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the bigger picture of things, he was not, um, th- there was nothing that stood out. There was nothing special about this guy. He, you know, he, he wasn't going to change it. He, he may have changed history a little bit because he believed that um, Austria-Hungary needed a navy. He, what, he was a big supporter of build, re, really building up the navy. He thought that um, that's something they didn't have. And, and when the war sto- started, you know, the, the Great War, mm-hmm. they really had no navy to speak of. And it really put them in a bad spot. Yeah, um, and but that, they, that may have changed something. But again... There's nothing you can say about this guy that makes him remarkable. Um, I, you know, the one thing I guess that stood out for me, he kind of married out of his class. Yeah. He married, married Sophie. Sophie. No, just Sophie, who wasn't really accepted by the um, the aristocratic. Um, yeah, and most of them didn't come to the wedding. Yeah. You know, they didn't yeah. even come to the wedding. It was a, you know, just like, you know, the, back in that day, you know, we all remember the Princess Di Charles mm-hmm. wedding. Back in that day, all the royal weddings were like that. I mean, a royal mm-hmm. wedding was a huge a big event. deal. And his was basically skipped by most of the European royalty mm-hmm. um, because he was married. He was marrying what was considered a lower class, mm-hmm. someone of below his his social status. Um, but they were married, and they had kids, and they. She joined. Um, she joined. Um, Franz Ferdinand on his trip to Sarajevo in June of 1914. Um, so that's the background on Archduke Ferdinand. He basically he represented the Austrian-Hungary Empire. He was the heir to the throne, but as Chuck said, really he was just your average um, member of the royal family, other than. Well, and he was he was again very leery of war. Mm-hmm. Um, he he knew he was. He was smart enough, and his father was smart enough to know the entanglements of the treaties that were all going on, and and he kind of knew that a conflict, again, a conflict with Russia, mm-hmm. was going to you know start these things in motion uh-huh. that he had very little control of, and he and he truly believed that it was, um, it was going to be the end of the Habsburg dynasty. It would it would be the end of the Russian Empire. So he would have been, 
Um, you know, he would he he understood that, and it would have been a that would have been a time of um, I think rel- probably relative peace mm-hmm. because he was you know they they were a power then. Yeah, and yeah, they were a player then, and uh, and they had a, this strong uh, alliance with Germany. Uh, who was an you know also an emerging power, um, so um, but there were a lot in a lot of folks in Austria Hungary that wanted to deal with the uh, Serbian question and Bosnian question, and um, he was but he was not one of them. He wanted to kind of work things out peacefully. Um, basically, he wanted to be in, in. Basically, he viewed it as. And again, he didn't like the Hungarians much mm-hmm. because he thought the Hungarians were far too nationalistic. Um, the Serbians, uh, he he actually felt a little little bit of sympathy for him, and, mm-hmm. and, and he felt like you know what. And they had not keep been them a part. in the dynasty, mm-hmm. keep them under our umbrella, but give them some autonomy. Don't. You know, right. Don't push things. Don't. And they had not been a part of the Austrian-Hungary Empire for that long. They no. had, had been earlier. They had been part of the uh, Turkish Ottoman Empire. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that's that's kind of the background on Archduke Ferdinand. So him and his wife decide to go to Sarajevo. Now, this is where our story picks up with uh, Gaviero Princip. Gaviero Princip is, if there could be, you know, kind of the uh, total opposite of Franz Ferdinand, it would be Gabrielle Princip. Princip was born on July 25th, 19, or I'm sorry, 1894 in Bosnia. He was one of nine children, six of whom died in infancy. Um, he, he was a, uh, you know, lived in a poor, uh, in a poor family. His part, his, his family worked, of, um, were poor farmers who worked um, the land for the uh, landlords that they so they were kind of like you know, I guess sharecroppers they were considered serfs and I mean this was 20th century and you're still talking about serfs in fact when he was arrested um, one of the forms that you know the where they uh, that they used the police <coughs> used when they arrested uh, Gavrilo Princip. Uh, one, uh, you know, where they're collecting the demographic information. One of the questions you can still see today on, you can see this form on the internet, and uh, ask uh, to whom the ser- does this surf belong? So, I mean, you know, this is, you know, this wasn't that long ago. You're talking, you know, serfdom here. Um, but uh, Princip uh, went to school. He started going to school, primary school in, in 1903 at the age of nine. And um, he was pretty successful in his studies. And at age 13, uh, Princip moved to the city of Sarajevo to study with, uh, to move in with his older brother. Uh, and he intended to enroll, ironically enough, into the Austrian-Hungary military school there in Sarajevo. But uh, his brother discouraged him from um, joining the Austrian-Hungary military school. Uh, say, telling him he didn't want to, you know, don't be an executioner of your own people. So this is where kind of um, Princip's earlier years where he starts to kind of get rational, uh, radicalized to, um, to the Serbian cause. Um, so he enrolled in a merchant school instead. And in 1911, at the age of 17, 
Princip joined an organization called Young Bosnia, and it was a society that wanted to separate Bosnia from Austria-Hungary and unite it with um, the Kingdom of Serbia, which was next door, who which was also home of Slavs. Um, so, um, but because local authorities had forbidden students to uh, forming organizations and clubs that um, sought uh, a separate Bosnia, um, this group, the Young Bosnians, had to meet in secret. In 1912, though, Princip was expelled from school for being involved in a, de- a demonstration against the Austrian-Hungary uh, authorities. Uh, he left Sarajevo after being expelled, and he walked 170 miles on foot to Belgrade um, to fight in Serbia. Serbia at the time was in a fight uh, with the Ottoman Turks, um, who were kind of their overlords, and he wanted to join up. But he was turned down because he was too, um, they said he was too small of stature and too weak, uh, which really discouraged him. He actually tra- um, he actually found the leader of this uh, uh, organization, the Young Bosnians, and went to them to uh, demand that he be allowed to join in his struggle against the Ottoman Empire and fight for Serbia. And the leader told him the same thing, that he was uh, too small and he's too weak to, to fight. So... This kind of discouraged him, but he did join an organization called the Serbian Ch- Chetnik Organization, and uh, they kind of, they, it was, I guess you could say it was a terrorist organization. We would call today a terrorist organization. They trained um, uh, young men to uh, on military training, paramilitary training. Uh, practice, uh, they taught them how to shoot, how to use bombs, how to use knives, um, and in their struggle against, um, you know, Austria-Hungary and uh, the Ottoman Empire. So he learned these trades with other young men, and it was then that he was going through this training um, that on June 28, um, 1914, that the Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, visited Sarajevo. So Princip uh, was uh, a group uh, was with a group of young men who decided to make a statement and assassinate um, the Austrian uh, Archduke uh, when he arrived in Sarajevo. So this was a true conspiracy. There were seven of them, and um, the Archduke arrived on June 28, 1914, by train. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, it was a Sunday. Uh, he and the Duchess arrived. Uh, and they got in. Uh, they, uh, they got in an open car. Sound, I mean, some of this sounds eerily like Dallas in 1963. Um, the parade route was uh, listed in the newspaper. So the royal couple are driving uh, in an open car, and along the route were seven of these conspirators, uh, uh, conspirators including Gabriel Prince. And uh, the plan was, again, to make a statement against um, Austria-Hungary by killing the heir to the Austrian-Hungary throne. Well, the motorcade went by. The first conspirator, uh, he kind of lost his nerve, and um, the car passed, and he didn't take any action. Um, at 10.15 a.m., um, this was a six-car procession, uh, was rolling down the street past the central police station. That's when the second conspirator um, got involved, and he did take action. He threw a bomb, which I guess today we would consider more like a hand grenade, at the Archduke's car. It bounced off the Archduke's car and exploded, uh, uh, and it uh, killed members of uh, or injured uh, folks in the, the car following the Archduke's car. So it didn't it didn't hurt the Archduke and the Duchess, but it did go off, and it caused you know there was it was chaos. There were you know, it was uh, blood in the streets, and um, it was this big panic during this big parade uh, procession. Um, two of the occupants of the car were seriously wounded, along with um, you know a dozen spectators. Um, so this was their shot, right? So five of the conspirators, including Princess, thought they lost this opportunity um, to kill the Archduke because this bomb went off, and you know they blew it. They they killed the you know the, or they injured folks in the following car. Now, the, the person, the bomber, who the guy who threw the bomb, he took a cyanide capsule and jumped in the river uh, to kill himself. Unfortunately, the cyanide capsule had expired. There you go. And it, he just got sick. And the river was only 10 inches <laughs> deep. It was not well thought through. You know, and, and think about had the guy just dove in head first, he might have broken his neck. Yeah. But what you got is a... Bad cyanide capsule. Yeah, he made himself sick. Yeah, made him just get put him in a more foul. Mode. Was it Rasputin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this guy's like Rasputin. Yeah. And then he goes and tries to drown in, 
I, I've got a creek by my house <laughs> that's deeper than that. Yeah, two inches is not yeah. very deep. I'm not, I, you know, and you think of the, they would have thought it through a little bit more. But anyway, um, so anyway, they lost their they lost their shot. So kind of you know feeling uh, disheartened, and the five conspirators just go their separate ways, and Prince up decides. He's just going to go away. Now, there's a story that Princip goes and has a sandwich, and <laughs> this story is so <laughs> odd. That's what everyone takes away from this story. It seems like, oh, he just gave up and went yeah, to get went a to sandwich. Yeah, went to McDonald's and exactly. saw, saw the urge to coming through the drive-thru. And I was you know, researching this story, and this historian in Australia has been researching this fact he's a, he was a history teacher and he says all of his kids always remember his damn sandwich yeah and he went back to try to find where the source of this came from now um, this these events that we'll talk about soon took place outside of a deli so that's kind of I guess where um, this connection is made but there is no historical evidence that Princip ever went to eat a sandwich after this. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. No one knows for sure, but the furthest he could go back on, on this story was 1998, so yeah. I don't think it's, uh, you know... But he, he was at the deli. He was I outside mean, the deli. So, but anyway, they go their separate ways. Franz Ferdinand, he goes, you know, he goes on to his uh, uh, festivities that were scheduled. You know, the mayor meets him, and, you know, the mayor is giving his you know, prepared speech. Welcome to Sarajevo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Fernand, uh, Franz Ferdinand's a little pissed off at this point, saying, you know, is this how you welcome your guests? You throw and, bombs well, at them. And, now, and, and, okay, and things have changed, but, right. um, you know, we're, we're, you know, the world's changed. But think about, think about President Obama. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's, now he's driving down the street. Somebody throws a bomb at his car. Right. What is going to happen? He's going to be in a bunker in about yeah, yeah. I mean, minutes. they're going to have him, the vice president, the speaker of Boehner. Right. I mean, literally, they're going to have the Secret Service surrounding these right. guys until they figure out what the hell went happened. Just right, happened. right. They're not just going to say, "Well, you know, it, it was a little bomb and it missed." Don't worry, President. <laughs> right. you're, you're all good. Just keep going. You're all good. You know, because the uh, the ladies Iowa Chamber of Commerce or whatever. Right. You know, go ahead and make the speech. yeah. Go ahead and make your speech. No one let interrupt your schedule. Yeah. So the Archduke may you know go. Goes, goes through the uh, festivity as planned, and then, kind of in a you know, kind of a courageous move, decides he's going to go and visit the people who were injured in the hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, that certainly wouldn't happen today. It, uh, it, it might happen today, but he would have an army with it. Exactly. This guy had what? what do you have three guys? With yeah, him? and they, they they and he was still in an open car. Well, when he had. <laughs> You know, basically Fredo from The Godfather driving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, so the the Duke, the Archduke Ferdinand decides he wants him and his wife decide to go check out on their party in the hospital who were injured, and um, so they decide to take a a different route. The head of security suggests wisely to take a different route, uh, but they forgot to tell the driver. And the driver is taking the same route that they came in on, which is, you know, was lined with assassins, right? So um, they're driving, and, and then finally someone says, they pull in, I love this, this is the most ironic part of the whole thing. On their way to the hospital, the car, the driver pulls, turns right on Franz Joseph Street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is, of course, the uh, Archduke's uncle's name. Uh, pulls in on Franz Joseph Street, 
when they finally talk, you know, say, hey, wait a minute, you're going the wrong way. Now, this was 1914, and, uh, you know, automobiles were, you know, uh, a new thing back then. They didn't have GPSs. Right, and transmissions were not, you know, there were some issues with them. So the guy, the driver tried, you know, stops with an intention of uh, backing up and, you know, turning around, and the car stalls. Well, it just so happens, yeah. Walking by um, is guess who? It's yeah, Gabriel Prince. Yeah, right. Here's he's guy. soaking wet and got an upset stomach. <laughs> no, no, no. That was no. the first assassin. Yeah. But but it was Prince up. He had you know well whether or not he had a sandwich or not we don't know. <laughs> but he was in front of a place called Moritz's Sheeler's Cafe. <laughs> yeah, uh, and here he is. You know, three feet away from Arch, you know, the Archduke Ferdinand's car. And I'm picturing the guy just standing at the counter saying, hey, hey, can you make that to go? So, um, you know, the driver's trying to reverse the car. Friends, you know, Princip, uh, Fran Ferdinand and his wife is in the back seat, open car. You know, Prince just reacts. He pulls out his pistol, fires two shots. The first one hits. Um, uh, the, the Duchess Sophie, and the second one hits um, Franz Ferdinand in the neck um, through the jugular, and uh, he dies. Uh, he dies, and uh, Sophie dies. And you know, and uh, truly, you know, it, here's kind of another ironic, ironic part of this is that Sophie's seen him coming. Mm-hmm. Sophie seen him point the gun, and Sophie Tried was the Secret Service. She threw herself over the yeah. Duchess. She get, takes one in the stomach. Exactly. Now he's covered up. Mm-hmm. Fires another shot. Now you know, and I believe he shot him with a thirty-eight. Um, yeah, I don't know what the. So she took it for the team. She takes one. She tried to. She's him. laying over the top, so the guy can't be that exposed. He hit him in the damn neck. And on the ju- yeah, in the juggler. In the juggler. Now I go to the target range all the time. From here to that wall, I don't know that I could hit somebody in the neck with an old thirty-eight. Yeah, and you got in the, these guns at the time couldn't be the mo- most accurate thing. Exactly. And he was. I mean, you know, I, you know, when you think about how young he was, he was nineteen years old at the time. Yeah, he couldn't have been. You yeah. Know. It was just one of those, you know, one of the oddest, uh, you know, if you wrote a story, no one would believe it. But here, you know, he's just walking down the street. It's almost like a Monty Python scene. Yeah, it I really mean, is. It, it reminds me of the Pink Panther. Yeah. And the um, the police chief, the commander that couldn't shoot um, off his, that shot off his nose. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, all these, yeah. I mean, there's just a yeah. whole calamity. Yeah, a whole, like Chuck said, a whole comedy of errors that took place. And yet it had such a, you know, devastating effect on the world. And so um, Prince up, um, he he grabs his cyanide. They all had cyanide, yeah. and of course it didn't work. Really, he just vomited, and uh, you know it was put. It was uh, you know you got to look at those dates on them. <laughs> you, you really well, do. You need to update your cyanide. Every <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cyanide inventory every mm-hmm. once in a while. The pistol was grabbed from him. He tried to shoot himself. The pistol yeah. was grabbed from him. He couldn't fire another shot, and he was arrested. He was nineteen at the time. And um, he was arrested. Yes, he was arrested. And so he was 19 years old. He was too young to receive the death penalty. And he was, yeah, he was like what? Like 20, he was 27 day. days short of his 20, the 20-year 20 minimum. You know, I think they would have waived that rule here. Yeah, and I, I kind of find it for the for the times very interesting. Progressive, progressive. Because yeah. how they, you know, 
They were hanging fourteen-year-olds. Well, I mean, and you, when you think you blame them, when you think that, no, not you know, you think that seventeen million people are going to die directly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as a risk. and to be fair to Princip, had he known what the, well, but you know, he was an anarchist. He, he really didn't. Yeah, I mean, he was nineteen. He wouldn't have cared. He would have yeah, thought, maybe. you know, this was, this was. No, he couldn't Whatever. see two feet in front of his face. So anyway, I saw well enough to shoot the guy in the neck, I suppose. But he received the maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. Um, he was held in really harsh conditions, and they were made worse by the war. Which war was Which that? Which he started. <laughs> Which, yeah. <laughs> Which he started because what happened after this assassination, of course, the Austrian-Hungary, you know, they were pissed. And they blamed uh, not, they didn't think this was a, you know, obviously it was a conspiracy. There were seven people involved, and they had ties to this group called Young, the Young Bosnians, and another group called the Black Hand. Black Hand, yeah. And so uh, Austria Hungary gave um, Serbia, they, you know, they, they blamed us all on Serbia and gave them a list of demands, uh, ultimatum. Serbia couldn't meet those demands or wouldn't meet those demands. Um, and, yeah, and I don't have the demands in front of in front of me. Too. Most of them were. They met like nine out of the ten. The one they couldn't. The one, the, but they. But there was one they absolutely could not meet. They yeah, just it was it. sovereignty. It was the yeah. they the arch the Austrian Hungary authorities wanted the wanted to become investigate in Serbia. And Serbia thought, you know, that was a, that was a violation of their sovereignty, and they would not allow that. Um, but basically, Austria-Hungary set the bar so high yeah. that no, in well, no country. Basically, could. what they were basically what Austria was doing here is they're saying, okay, we want to solve this peacefully, but they're setting up terms that they know that they can't meet. Yes. What Austria-Hungary wanted to do is, was crush Serbia. Yes. They wanted revenge, and yeah. they wanted to crush Serbia, but they didn't want to appear. Yeah. They but, they, like Serbia. you said, they were also concerned about Russia getting in the game. Yeah. So Austria-Hungary, Franz Joseph reaches out to um, uh, Germany to say, hey, you got our back if we go in. This Kaiser Wilhelm says, yeah, we got your back if it, you know, push comes to shove. So um, um, that the war starts. So um, Austria-Hungary attacks Belgrade, and then um, Russia mobilizes in defense of um, to defend um, the Serbs. Germany, seeing that uh, Russia is mobilizing. Um, begins to mobilize against uh, Russia. Uh, in Germany's uh, situation, they, they, they feared a two-front war with Russia and France. So they had this plan. Uh, they had, the military had uh, uh, devised for years that should this situation occur, where they were first going to... Um, Neutralize France and then turn their attention to Russia. Well, Russia uh, would take weeks to mobilize, and by that time, Germany thought they could uh, go in and neutralize France and then turn their attention eastward. To to make that plan work, though, they had to go through neutral Belgium. So they attacked France through neutral Belgium. Well, 
Great Britain had a treaty with Belgium. They didn't have one with France, but they had a treaty with Belgium. And when Germany attacked, uh, went through Belgium to reach France, um, Great Britain uh, declared war on Germany. And then that's how you get to World War I. Um, and it left uh, 17 million people dead. Uh, it uh, led to uh, uh, the Treaty of Versailles, which, of course, uh, put harsh um, conditions on the defeated powers, uh, especially Germany. Austria-Hungary was just broken up, but Germany uh, received harsh reparations. Um, and, of course, that led to uh, economic insecurity in Germany and the rise of Adolf Hitler uh, in World War II. So uh, Treaty of Versailles also led to um, the breaking up of the Ottoman Empire, which was the uh, most of the Middle East, and um, when they... Uh, when they um, created the new borders of the Middle East, they did it based on uh, geography, not based upon the different sects. So you had Shia and you had Kurds and you had um, Sunnis that uh, were all thrown in together in in these new borders. And um, and that's why you have, you know, um, the trouble we've had in the Middle East for years uh, and still have today. Of course, the uh, First World War also saw Russia, um, uh, conditions in Russia uh, deteriorate that led to the um, Bolshevik Revolution and communism in Russia and it spread through, of course, to China and then you, you know, led to the whole Cold War. Uh, Cold War. So all of this uh, can be traced back to this June day back in uh, 1914 when Gavriel Princip shot, fired two shots, and killed um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife, Duchess Sophie. And Brandy's going to tell us what happened uh, to Princip. He contracted tuberculosis. While in in jail. While in prison, yeah, and he died um, April 28th, 1918. He'd been in prison three years and ten months after he assassinated the Archduke and the Duchess. At the time of his death, he was weakened by malnutrition malnutrition and disease and weighed about uh, 88 pounds. Um, His body had become racked by skeletal tuberculosis that ate away at his bones so badly that his right arm had to be amputated. Um, When he died, the um, Slav nationalists, or I'm sorry, the jailers, felt like his bones might become relics for Slav nationalists, so they took the body to a secret unmarked grave to bury it. Mm -hmm. But there was a Czech soldier that was assigned to the burial that remembered the location, and in 1920, um, Princip and uh, some of the other heroes of the Vitovdan were... um, Disinterred, and they were brought back to Sarajevo, where they were buried together beneath a chapel. Um, uh, the chapel was built to commemorate for eternity our Serb heroes. Yeah, you know he's a he, uh, Princip is now. You know he's still considered a hero in in Bosnia, and and they have um, they have a plaque where he actually you know where the assassination took place. 
Well, and this is what's screwy. So the house where he lived in Sarajevo was destroyed during World War One. Uh, Princip's house. Princip's house, okay. yes. After the war, it was rebuilt as a museum okay. in the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. Uh, Yugoslavia was conquered by Germany in 1941, and Sarajevo became part of the independent state of Croatia. Uh, the Croatian state destroyed the house again. After the, the house can't stand I know. standing. After the establishment of communist Yugoslavia in 1944, um, the house became, became a museum again, um, and then there was another museum dedicated to him within the city of Sarajevo. But during the Yugoslav Wars of the 1990, 1990s, the house was destroyed again. A third time. It was a third time. Uh, they have not rebuilt it yet. <laughs> it's like, okay, this yeah, is just enough. forget it. Yeah, forget it. Okay, it's we're enough. good. Um, yeah, there's a plaque in front of the museum at the spot where Precip stood and he um, stood and fired his shots. The pistol that he used was confiscated by authorities and eventually given, um, along with the Archduke's bloody undershirt, to a Jesuit priest who was a close friend of the Archduke um, and had given him and the Duchess their last rites. The pistol and the shirt remained in with the Jesuits until they were offered on a long-term loan to the Museum of Military History in Vienna in 2004. Um, and today, it's part of a permanent exhibition there. Yeah, you can go there. I mean, you can. You don't have to go to Vienna. You can go online. Um, you can see the car that uh, the, the, the Archduke and the Duchess were riding in. You can see the tunic that the Archduke was wearing. It's very bright blue tunic. And you can even, if you look closely enough, you can even see, like, um, the bloodstains from where he was bleeding mm-hmm. and the, 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 the hole that the bullet made. Um, you know, um, it's uh, be a cool thing to see, but you know, it's just uh, like you, like Chuck was saying, a comedy of errors that led, you know, you know, how, what a different. It's like um, you know, alternate history. It'd be fun to say, well, what if that day didn't happen, or what if that, you know, what if what if uh, he hadn't stopped for a sandwich? What if he hadn't stopped for a sandwich? Or what if he, you know, what if the, uh, he, if the Archduke had just not went to Sarajevo, or you know, you, you could. What, what, how the world would be different, but um, that's uh, that's the story of Sarajevo in June of uh, 1914. Any final thoughts for you, Brandy? No. Okay. Where should people look for our podcast? Or well, you can find us on Stitcher and iTunes and on our History Dweebs webpage. And Facebook. And Facebook. And if you go to iTunes... Please leave a review. That's how people find us. Yes. Thank you all very much, and we'll see you again real soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.